0: Good morning and welcome to Recipe for Success. My name is Nancy Giacalone, and this morning I am lucky enough to have with me as my guest, Serenity Owens. For those of you tuning in for the first time, Recipe for Success was created because I noticed through my love of cooking and baking that there was always one key ingredient or technique that was critical to the outcome or the success of whatever I was working on. And as I noticed that, it became apparent to me that the same thing was true in many other aspects of life. So that's how this podcast was born. And I love to talk to, in particular, strong women doing great things in their lives and industry. So as I mentioned, our guest today is Serenity Owens. I'd like to welcome Serenity. Serenity, please tell us a little bit about yourself and um, your career history. I'm so
1: glad to be here, Nancy. And I've watched your, I've watched these a number of times, but I, this is the first time I really heard that key ingredient distinction. And I think it's so true. What are you focused on, right? What are Um, you focused on exactly? Yeah, what are you focused on? So really great, thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy to be here. I am a Texan, uh, seven generations. I did go out of state for both of my degrees. I have an undergraduate degree in English literature. um, And I was doing, we were doing sound check with my old English poetry recitation. So that worked really well. That's about the only place I can use that. Um, And then I have a master's in public policy from Carnegie Mellon. And I came home from my graduate degree and um, got to work creating organizations um, for society and culture here in Austin. So my first venture was the Austin Parks Foundation. Um, and we're coming up on our 30th anniversary, which blows my mind. Don't, I didn't say that. Can, this is live. <laughs> this this is live. live. Oh, yeah. So um, yeah, the Austin Parks Foundation is a vehicle for philanthropy for the public spaces in the city of Austin. And then um, I helped create the Entrepreneurs Foundation of Central Texas. So this was during the dot-com boom. And there was a lot of people, there's always a lot of people moving to Austin, but the growth had really gotten to an exponential level. And there were lots of young startup companies moving to Austin. And there was a concern that that growth was going to affect our Quality of life. And of course, the venture capitalists and the founders were like, the reason we moved here was the quality of life. That's the last thing we want to do, right? So they really needed some kind of vehicle to um, walk that talk. And that was what the Entrepreneurs Foundation of Central Texas ended up being, a place where they could engage with the community, participate in corporate philanthropy, and a way to give back for the startup and entrepreneurial community here in Austin.
0: I love that. Um, So, today we really want to focus on your personal leadership journey and entrepreneurial journey. And so you've given us a little bit of a foundation, but you get out of Carnegie Mellon, which is very prestigious. How do you decide where the first place you're going to dip your toes in the water? And maybe it's not even on your resume, but tell me about those first few years, what that was like for you.
1: Yeah. Um, you give me so much credit as a young person, the, that decision point, right? Like I don't think at that time that I was focused, the focus that you need to create the perfect recipe. Um, I was open. I was curious. I had a, a lot of strengths, but um, really knowing myself or having a focus or destination for my career was not one of them. And I had this, um, I really loved the theory of public policy. And I had been blessed to be mentored by some of the greatest female leaders in the history of our state. Um, Austin was a small town when I was young. Um, And so encountering people like Liz Carpenter and Lady Bird Johnson and Barbara Jordan and Ann Richards, like that was actually fairly easy to do. Um, and so I was really blessed to get to meet those women and see their leadership. And I often got, uh, the feedback of, you need a relevant degree. And I was like, the middle English isn't what I don't understand. Um, and so I came home from Carnegie Mellon and I needed a job, right? Like I just gotten out of graduate school. Oh my gosh. I spent my life savings. So, um. So I was um, just networking and again, really blessed with a deep and rich network. And I had a friend call and say that somebody was looking for the, um, they were looking for the director of Texas Parks and Wildlife. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not qualified yet to run a state agency. And she said, oh, it's not a state agency. Well, okay. I don't know what it is, but it's what you do. And then I met the board, uh, the president of the board, another really powerful woman who had a great philanthropic history in the city of Austin. And she handed me three file folders and said, go find an office. And so that was the beginning of this organization that now receives millions of dollars. um, And we're in Austin City Limits Festival season right now. And that partnership is possible because of the Austin Parks Foundation, because there's this vehicle, there's a nonprofit partner with the public partner of the city of Austin to be able to facilitate the philanthropy that's required to pull off an event of that size. So that's a real, that's a legacy that I'm really, really proud of.
0: Oh, as you well should be. I mean, I know about that festival and I've never been to Austin. So that's, that's really amazing. Um, I think, you know, most of us, we know our strengths. We kind of sort of know what we wanna do, we just don't know how we wanna do it or where it actually fits in the world. I would say there's maybe 25% of people that come out of college and know this is what I wanna do and they have a very clear direction. The rest of us, we're like, "Uh, now what? So it's always a little bit of a a challenge. So Nicholas Williams said, hi all, hope everyone is having a great Thursday. Thank you, Nicholas, I know we are. Um, So One of the things that I found really interesting, and I admitted this to you before we got on the show, is I always do um, a little bit of research on my guests. I really try to find out a little bit about what makes them tick, where they've come from. And one of the things I did not know about you prior to my research is that um, you struggled with dyslexia for much of your life, and you really took it from being a disadvantage to leveraging it to become an advantage. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that. And um, I wanted to thank you for actually doing your background or you call it sleuthing, but really like you were just doing your background research and it wasn't something I would have thought to, b- to bring up, but I love talking about it. Um, and my bio on the Impact Dyslexia page says that I spent my entire academic career performing well below my cognitive ability um, because the production Um, of anything that involves symbols is still challenging for me. Dyslexia isn't really something that you get over. It's something that you learn to master. Um, And I was undiagnosed. I was really blessed in getting some super early intervention before elementary school, which is um, a key ingredient in being able to work with your dyslexia and turn it into a strength. So I would encourage any parent in the audience who suspects that their child may have difficulty interacting with symbology to get an evaluation um, because those early interventions are really, really key.
0: So for somebody that that's not familiar, has had zero experience with dyslexia, when you say symbology, what exactly do you mean by that? Like numbers or is it numbers and letters? Is it anything that represents something else? What, what does that term mean?
1: Yeah, it can be all of the above. Um, so, you know, if I if there's a symbol on the page that looks like this, there's a sound that you might associate with that, right? Um so what you've learned is that this symbol represents this sound. But what if I turn the same symbol this way, right? I'm like, "Well, it's the same symbol." And you're like, "No, it's a different symbol, it's a different
0: sound." And I'm like, "No, it's not. It's the same one." <laughs> right? Okay, I see what you I see what you mean. I did not know that before.
1: Um, and so reading is a linear process, is a, is a linear process in our brains, right? Where we go from left to right or in different cultures, right to left, or maybe top to down, you know, top to bottom. Sure. Um, and it requires a sort of sequencing and the strengths that most dyslexics have is more of a pattern recognition. And so taking something from left to right or folk highly focusing on something that is sequential is a challenge whereas taking in a lot of information simultaneously and then connecting the dots is really easy for us right um, and both of my children are dyslexic and they also have um ADHD which i probably also have although i haven't ever received or pursued that um edu- that diagnosis I find most entrepreneurs are I think so. I think so for sure. <laughs> which I like to why I like to work with them um yeah both of my children have this incredible pattern recognition um both visually as well as informationally whereas like reading on the page might be challenging but if you give them a bunch of information that's seemingly disparate they can find the connection between that gotcha so
0: So the last comment I just popped on and said, very interesting. That was actually Judy Woodall Turner happens to be my mother. She's, she's my biggest fan. She, she tunes in every week. But the the reason I actually even mentioned that is because um, you mentioned the, the cognitive disconnect between your brain and the way your you know, your eyes are taking information in with dyslexia. So my mother just got hearing aids. And one of the things that we've discovered was how much of her brain had essentially been shut down because of the inability to take in sounds and process them adequately? And so it's so interesting that com- two completely different conditions can somewhat be generated from the have the same the same effects in, in all reality. So I find that I find that fascinating. Yeah,
1: um, um, I just want to pause here and make a point that so dyslexia is considered a disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, and those of us who have it and, and the medical profession, most everybody agrees this is not an illness, it's not a pathology, it's a different way of processing that makes um, taking information in or traditional academic pursuit in some ways more challenging and in some ways easier you know, I can name a number of Nobel laureate, sure. right? Um, but that ADA does give, like, that's a really useful tool. And I just had the experience in my day job where there was a tool and I could not interact with that tool. And I, um, I was sweeping that under the rug. I was doing every single workaround, like the ones I learned in elementary school. When I couldn't read the story, I was right. those as a you know as a mature woman, I was doing all these workarounds. And then finally, it came, push came to some shove. Somebody was like, "Use the tool," and I had to admit that I couldn't use the tool, and I had to ask for an accommodation. I had to ask for that material to be delivered in a different way, and it was um, a really humbling moment for me but i was really proud of myself like to go okay like uh, this is something that i need to ask for help right and then the company responded immediately and there was no judgment from anybody else right like i that was a barrier that i had put up for myself that was right. unnecessary at the time
0: well, I love this um, uh, comment from, from Nicholas again. Um, he says, I love, love, love this story. I've always struggled with this. My uncle does as well, so my parents knew it early. I was lucky to and got early intervention. I got offered the extra testing time for reading due to this. I never took the extra time. I mean, how many people are afraid to admit um, what you just said in your story? Rather, it motivated me to conquer the disability and strive to do do be even better because I knew I was starting behind others. And I think an important point you made is that you don't necessarily get over it. It doesn't go away, but you create coping mechanisms and strategies to to deal with it to the best of your ability. Yeah. And that's um, available for everybody. So, um, okay. So since we're on the subject, let's talk about Um, We already we know that you have been behind the brains, the brawn behind starting multiple nonprofits. But since we're on the topic of dyslexia, let's talk about one that I know you're still involved in, and that's impact dyslexia. Um, So what's been the biggest challenge with getting that venture off the ground and maybe still today? Yeah. um, Everyone
1: involved is really powerful and a leader in their realms and worlds. And we have entrepreneurs, um, we have uh, dedicated parents, um, policymakers. Um, and we were kind of just about to es- achieve escape velocity when the pandemic shut us down. So, you know, I don't want to ex- blame external. Um, circumstances, uh, that was just a really big barrier to literally, we were just about to take off. Um, I guess the, the thing that we have control over that we, um, that's been a challenge is there's so much opportunity to serve. There's just so many places where we could have stepped in to say, Oh, nobody's doing this. Let's shore this right. up. Nobody's doing this to shore this up. And so, um, the paradox of opportunity, right? Like it took us a while to really narrow our focus and recognize that parental advocacy is the place to um, really focus our education and and attention. That um, it's challenging and I hear stories every time I get to interact with impact dyslexia, the story from the parent is nobody believed me. I got pushed back. Um, the resources are not present in my school district. Um, And so the, yeah, that took us a while to be able to figure out how to focus there, but that's where we've landed is that it's all about the parental empowerment.
0: So um, your education and then also some of the work you've done within your nonprofits and your career have been focused on the relationship between public, private and nonprofits Profit sectors on culture. I'd love to know what you've learned from that, what your um, ideas just, I'd love you to share a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. Um, You've probably heard in the entrepreneurial realm that culture eats strategy for lunch. Yes, I have. (laughs) Right? Because culture is invisible. Strategy is in a playbook or on the whiteboard and is discussed at meetings. Culture is what's happening in the room behind all of that stuff. Is this a culture where people are encouraged to speak up? Is it egalitarian? Do you honor the voice of the newcomer or the young person as much as the pers- as the voice of the seasoned veteran? Those are really inherent Cultural questions and culture happens in every area of our lives. So, um, I wanted my organizations to impact that background conversation, to change the environment and make it more fertile. So, the Parks Foundation, for example, to have the citizens of Austin recognize that the parks are public places. That means that they belong to me as much as they belong to the city of Austin. And can we recognize that when we're interacting with green and open spaces in the city that we're not simply taking, we're also leaving behind. And there's a contribution to be had and there's an equanimity there. Um, The Entrepreneurs' Foundation, I've already told that founding story, but the, companies that come to Austin to build their professional um, dreams, they need the city. They need this environment that we've created that's rich and fertile for the environment, I mean, for the entrepreneurs, and they don't want to adversely affect that. So I try to work at that level of you know, are we creating a rich and fertile environment for contribution, conversation? Because that's where I believe real change is going to come from. It's not going to come from um, the playbook or whatever's written
0: on the whiteboard. That is, that really um, strikes a chord with me, Serenity, because I think that so many of us, probably myself included, tend to think of culture around a business, around a company, but really cultures in every aspect of our lives. We have a culture within our family. We have a culture within our industry. We have a culture within our community. And the more that we can always be working to build and foster a positive, welcoming culture, we have a better world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
1: um, you and I now both work in healthcare and to think about what kind of culture we've built over the last 40 or 50 years. Where there's um, all of these influences on the doctor-patient relationship that mm-hmm. don't necessarily contribute to a person's well-being. Exactly. How can we begin to speak differently, act differently, dress differently, make our appointments differently, build different kinds of facilities that begin to again create an equality between the patient and the provider, so that that transaction has real integrity? For the exchange of energy and productivity, and we're creating an environment for well being throughout our country.
0: Yeah, I love that. You know, the other thing that I find interesting because I've been in this industry a really long time, um, the culture within the benefit advising consulting uh, arena has changed significantly in the last, I'm going to say, five years, probably three years. We used to, we'd come together for conferences, but we were always competitors and we were always kind of sizing each other up. And I feel that so much of that has changed in the last few years because we are coming together around a common goal. And that's really to improve access to healthcare, to reduce the cost to employers and, and remove the barriers to access for members, employees. And when we're all working together towards a common goal and we have a strong culture of believing that that's the right thing to do, there is plenty of business to go around for all of us. And I really think it takes a lot of that competitiveness off out of of the conversation that was a detriment in the past.
1: Yeah, it's so thrilling. It's so thrilling to see people really pulling in the same direction of, there's a big problem in healthcare in America and it's entrepreneurism, innovation, that's going to create whatever comes next.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think that, um, and it's not, this is not a blanket statement, but I do feel that smaller agencies, firms, organizations are the ones that are leading the drive for change because they have the ability to do so. And they have have less to lose, I guess, to, to put it frank, to be frank. And so they're more willing to take that entrepreneurial spirit and plant that flag in the ground and say enough is enough we need to do things differently
1: it's so true and large companies can do that but it has to be a strategic initiative in their culture right yes they have to encourage innovation and entrepreneurism recognizing that along with making new things comes failure yep and often once you've conquered something, it's just natural to want to try to protect it. Um, so I believe that innovation can happen anywhere. Um, and the question is, do you have a culture or an environment in which innovation can thrive? Yep,
0: Yeah. So Joel um, piped in and said, we aren't enslaved by the system and that is so true. We have free choice um, and we can do things differently. And so I will also back up for one second. And, and again, no disrespect to large agencies because that was not a blanket statement, but I find the trend tends to be toward smaller, more flexible, nimble people doing some of the more interesting things. Okay. Sure.
1: Of course, yeah. right? Like it's just the nature and it's not our industry, it's every industry. Yes, yes you know, innovation. If you're already on the outside, it's just a lot easier to innovate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Brokers working together as one to find solutions is a great thing. That's how you shape the culture that we need it to be today. Amen. Um, Okay. So we're going to pivot again for a second. And now we're going to talk about another facet of your interesting career. (laughs) So you are a professional certified coach. A coach of what? And what exactly does that mean? Yeah. So um,
1: the Parks Foundation, then the Entrepreneurs Foundation, and then a couple of children. So being a CEO and being a mom, um, that was a really challenging balance for me. And as you know, I'm highly ambitious. So I wanted to do everything at top level. And I just like it wasn't. I needed a shift. Right. And so I opened a consultancy so I would have some flexibility for time and investment over the day and also over the course of a year. Right. Where maybe the children would need more attention in some months than others. Um, And with my 10 years of entrepreneurial experience and my master's degree and um, I went out to like conquer, help everybody else conquer the world. And I can write a program, Nancy, i tell you what, like, that is so easy for me that dispersed it like, oh, look, there's all this information. Let's put it all together. Right. And, um, and then people would execute them and they would fail. And I was like, what's going on? I don't understand. This program is perfect. What's wrong with you? Right. (laughs) Well, what's wrong with me? Right. So I, started investigating coaching to really solve my own challenge of how can I help people execute these plans with more efficiency and effectiveness? Because there's something missing in my delivery that my clients aren't seeing the um, outcomes that I think are really, really possible. And then turns out that coaching conversation is the cultural conversation that I love so much, right? What's, what's this culture, the culture that's going on here, right? What are my deep-seated beliefs and what are my um, already programmed ways of listening or the assumptions that I walk into a room or a project or a relationship or an opportunity with? And are those going to get me where I want to go or are they going to limit my point of view and put blind you know, give me blind spots to the opportunity. Um, So I really loved getting that certification. It's from uh, the organization called the International Coaches Federation. That's who certifies people in the coaching realm. Um, And it really was the missing piece um, that allowed me to take those projects um, and then work with the people who get to implement them.
0: So outside of coaching others, has it helped you in your leadership skill set and in developing your own organizations or the organizations that you're currently involved with? Yeah. And
1: in fact, um, one of the organizations that I trained with has an entire track for coach approach leadership, um, where you're not perf- pursuing a professional certification in coaching, but using the techniques in a leadership place, right? In, in in place in your organization. And it's really about that curiosity. Um, what's going on with your team? What's going on with this company? Coming in with two ears and one mouth. So can I listen twice as much or twice as deeply as I speak? Um, and I do find that that's what, and um, even in sales, um, that to be able to listen for somebody's pain, to be able to listen for the problem, to be able to hear whether your solution is a fit for this particular situation or not, I think that that's the oppor- where the real opportunity to serve is.
0: I, I agree. And um, I mean, I think every leader should should be required uh, training, the the coaching, you know, what did you call it the, the coaching track or uh, coach
1: approach? Yeah, yeah, it's
0: the coach approach. Oh, I love that. I'm gonna have to look into that myself. So very, very interesting. Um, okay, so now we're gonna get into the nitty gritty. We are both females of a certain age, um, and have been doing this a long time. We were not as common in the workplace when we first both entered. And even today, there's challenges. So I would love to hear from you about what have been some of the unique challenges and opportunities that you faced as a female leader and entrepreneur. Oh, how much time do we have, Nancy? Well, Nicholas says serenity is killing it. So (laughs) apparently we have as much time as you need. Okay, good. Um,
1: Well, I did some name dropping there from some of my early mentors. Um, And you're right. It was, um, the reason those women are so important to me is because um, I would be the, you know, the young woman, the junior bag carrier who got to sit in the corner with somebody like Governor Richards um, and a sea of men, right? And then there was some point where that changed, um, where women, um, You know, the the opportunities, right? The people who came before us um, and burst open the doors, right? And then we got to open those doors a little bit wider. And now there's so much opportunity and we still operate in a patriarchal culture. Um, And again, it's in the background. It's not something people inherently recognize that we're still conditioned from birth to act a certain way and expect a certain type of behavior or conversation from our female counterparts that we don't expect from our male counterparts. And it's just challenging to, to raise those, you know to be constantly aware of those things. And I'll just make a dyslexia point. For example, people think that dyslexia is more prevalent in men than it is in women or in boys than it is in girls. Um, And it's not true. It's because girls are conditioned to act in, to denigrate themselves, to look for their own fault, to try harder, be better. Whereas men, are like, there's something wrong here. Somebody better fix it for me, right? And so the men start acting out, the boys in class start acting out and they're like, well, gosh, he's smart. You know, like, what's going on here? And then they get evaluated and they get identified and then they get the support they need. And that doesn't happen for women. Um, And it's just everywhere. It's just everywhere. I know you asked me a specific question about like- I know it's-
0: it's, it's, You're answering it beautifully. It wasn't, it really wasn't a specific question. It was really to open the door to some of the unique challenges of being a female, especially a younger female. You know, if we dial it back, what that, how hard that was. I remember specifically, um, because I've been a a broker consultant for most of my career, and I can remember when I would walk into a conference as one of a handful of women, and the first question would be, whose assistant are you?
1: Yeah.
0: Or, or um, Uh, you know, whose wife, whose assistant, oh, you must work for a carrier. I'm like, no, I'm none of those things. And then they would, you know, chuckle and pat me on the back and, oh, it's so sweet that you're doing that. Um, I've outlasted most of them, but you're right as far as also how, I think, how we allow ourselves because we've been conditioned to believe what we can accept and what we don't have to accept. And I've seen it for very many years that people do treat, women as well as men, treat female leaders differently than they treat male leaders. I don't think they know they're doing it, so I'm not trying to say anything unkind about it, but it happens. Um, there is a level of expectation is that you're going to take care of it as a female, and the men are going to expect the other person to take care of it. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. been my experience.
1: I, and research supports you, right? You know, to go back to entrepreneurship, um, if you're a female founder, um, 3% of female founded companies ever hit the million dollars in annual revenue mark. Now, just to talk about how brave go the entrepreneurs, 6% of male owned businesses ever hit this, the million dollar mark. So it's hard, right? To get to that million dollars and million dollars gives you a lot, you know, if you can get to a million dollars in revenue that gives you some stability yep. that isn't present beforehand, right? And women are half as likely to hit that marker than men. And that's environmental. That doesn't have anything to do with intelligence.
0: So interesting. I I mean, we could talk about this all day, um, but in the interest of time, What is one piece of advice that you would give to any woman out there that might be interested in starting their own company or beginning an entrepreneur journey? Trust yourself. Know yourself and trust yourself.
1: And um, really, like, investigate what truth feels like for you and be willing to experiment with it oh, I got six pieces of advice that were contrary to what I thought I should do. Like, okay, go follow the advice, see how that works, right? And then do it your way a couple of times and see how that works. So you get really dialed into what's true for me and then be willing to
0: follow that as your focus. It's beautiful. Can I just have that engraved and put on my wall? Um, Very, very true. Okay, so... Take a deep breath because it's feeling a little, let me, maybe tear up there for a second. Um, We get to move on to the fun part of the show, which is the five burning questions. I know all my guests dread, but anyway, I love it. So I get to have it in there. And tied into the title of the show, what is your absolute favorite food in the world and can you cook it?
1: Okay. I was like, you asked at the beginning if there were any questions I didn't want you to ask, and I almost (laughs) didn't want you to ask this question. I am such a foodie. I love food. I decided I couldn't answer this question. I could only narrow the cuisine. So my favorite cuisine is Indian. And yes, I can cook it. And I have dozens of Indian cookbooks.
0: Oh, very nice. So at some point in time, I'm going to take all of these interviews, distill them down and make a book. And at the end is a favorite recipe. So we'll have to dig into your cookbook for that. Um, Okay. So what is the one character trait that you most admire in other people and why? Honesty. And it's what I was just talking about, right? Because
1: truth is, I think there's a, sure there's a truth, right? Like what color is my blouse? It's orange, right? But there's this internal truth of staying aligned with your own truth and then speaking honestly from there that's what I strive to do in the world. And that's what I look for in my partners and friends.
0: Well, that's why I like you so much. Um, Okay, so what is the one character trait, if we flipped it to turn the mirror, now we're looking at you. What's the one character trait in yourself that you're most proud of?
1: It's that same thing. It's the pursuit of that. And I fail every day. I fail every day, Nancy, where, you know, and sometimes it's like little, like, um, packing lunch, right? And it's like, I get to lunch and I'm like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have packed this. <laughs> I should have packed something else. You know? Yeah. Um, all the way up to, oh, here's a challenging or confronting situation. Um, can I speak my truth into the listening that's in the room
0: right now? Right, right. Uh, well, I, I hear that. Okay. So if you could change one thing in your career history, what would it be and why? Um, yeah, this is another question I really
1: struggled with. Um, and I don't think, yeah, I couldn't come up with a single thing. Um, have I failed? Yes, multiple times. Um, and I've learned something from every single one of those. Um, and well, going back to the last question, um, if I could have developed this insight to stay true to myself earlier, um, I could have used that skill. There's a lot of places where I would have loved to have used that skill.
0: It's a great answer. Yeah. Okay. I have a sneaking suspicion of how you're going to answer this question, but I'm asking it anyway, because again, I'm, I'm the sleuth. I like to, I like to do a little research on people. What is your secret talent or something people would be surprised to learn about you? Oh, um,
1: I, I think it's this listening ability, um, to be able to hear what's really going on with someone between the lines.
0: I don't think anyone would be surprised to learn that about you, but I think I read something about some sort of dancing going on in your. <laughs> in I, your...
1: Yeah, I did um, I did perform at Grinnell College. I was on the dance troupe. Um, and that was that was a great time in my life at a really academic college to um, have an artistic outlet uh and in texas you know i grew up go- dancing and going to dance halls as well as the more formal training that got me into the dance troupe and it's something that i don't feel like i do enough of right now i asked a friend the other day if she wanted to go to one of the dance halls that we used to go to and she's like i don't know i think it'll be an unmasked environment and all <laughs> a really Good point so now we're looking at taking some classes or something that might be an um, um,
0: anyway I, th- I that was one thing i was like I didn't know that. That's very cool. I lo- I just like to know like there's people always have these little talents that most people don't know about them. I think that's very interesting. All right, so the final question: Who's the one person that you've either met on LinkedIn, social media, or maybe a podcast you follow that you would most like to sit down across the table and have a great conversation with?
1: Do you know this podcast? Everything is fine. Yes. Yeah. I want to be on the everything is fine team. I want Kim French to be like my best friend and I want her to like help me go vintage shopping. And I just think that, yeah, they are so much fun. They're so real for women our age to have somebody, you know, dish about how we see the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. One of my, one of my friends recently sent me a link to an episode they did on quitting uh, which was was okay to quit have you heard that one? Yeah, wow. uh, yeah, that was really powerful so um that would be that would be awesome. well, serenity, thank you so much. I think this was just absolutely a beautiful conversation uh clearly from all the comments um your your stories, your um career trajectory, your personal growth has hit a a, a chord with a lot of people. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on here. If people want to know more about um, dyslexia resources or coaching, um, should they reach out to you or where would you suggest that they start? Yeah. And you can reach me on LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And to everyone else, I'll see you next week. Have a great day. Thanks, Nancy. Bye-bye.